Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Today, I want to share a message with you entitled, Welcome to the Club. Welcome to the club. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is Welcome to the Club. I want to find out, does anybody here ever remember uh, the, the, the band called DC Talk? Come on. Do I have some Christians in the house? Some long-standing Christians in the house. DC Talk. Uh, Will said this morning that love is a doing word, and it immediately reminded me of DC Talk because they had a song called Love is a, Love is a, Love is a Verb. Come on, guys. Where's your DC Talk knowledge? Down with the DC Talk. Come on. So anyway, some of you got to go onto, onto uh, your music streaming service, whatever you use after the service, and just listen to some DC Talk because it'll change your life. I used to tell my friends at school, DC Talk is as good, if not better, than you 2 um, which is debatable. But anyways, um, if you know the band, you'll know how huge they were in the 90s and maybe the early 2000s. Um, the song Jesus Freak was huge. I knew and still do know, but I'm not going to do it today, both raps from that song. Um, thanks to Toby Mac, I was introduced to a little bit of hip-hop. And, uh, and yeah, I even once was on a hip-hop album, but I'll tell you about that later. Um, but, but, you know, DC Talk in, I think it was 1995, came to South Africa as part of their world tour. And I don't even know how this happened. I don't know how this arrangement got made. But somehow my mom ended up being the one who was going to manage their South African leg of their tour. And so now I get to drive in the car with DC Talk from the hotel where they were staying to the stadium. Uh, I don't know if you remember events at the Standard Bank Arena. Uh, and, and they were doing a, a couple of shows at the Standard Bank Arena. I got to drive in the car with them. I got to, got to walk with them to their room. Coming to think about it now, um, I can imagine like just this kid following them around, how irritating that must have been. Uh, but back then, I was having the time of my life. I thought they loved me, um, and it was awesome to hang out. And, and, so, and so, you know, we're driving in the car, and you've got people at the show screaming and hitting on the window, and I'm like, I'm in here with them, and you're out there. This is amazing. And, um, and so I got to go backstage, and they were supporting acts and a whole bunch of bands and all that kind of stuff, and they had a really cool backstage area that kind of had windows that you could look out from behind the stage and uh, at one point I went into the crowd my cousins were all got involved and I had cousins that were older than I am a couple of years seven seven to ten years older than me and I got to hang out with them and so we're at the concert having a great time and then we now are ready to go backstage and I walk backstage my cousins walk ahead of me I'm a little bit behind and they allow everybody through and I remember there was a really 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 big guy and I remember he had a crutch like an actual physical crutch, not the like an emotional crutch, but like a, he had a physical crutch. And as I'm trying to get through, he stops me because I didn't have one of the tags on. My cousins all did. They had backstage passes, but I was just a kid. I didn't have one on. And so he stops me and my cousins don't notice. And so I'm calling out, but over the sound of the music, I'm being left behind right now. Like I am, I'm, like, I'm telling you, my mom is going to be so mad. She's going to break your other leg. <laughs> Let me through. You don't know who I am. This is like nine-year-old me. You don't know who I am. But, 
the thing is, is that we've all kind of been in that space before where we felt like we didn't have access, where we felt like we weren't invited to the club, like we didn't quite make it into the group, like we didn't quite belong. Have any of you ever felt that way? Come on, you didn't quite belong. You didn't quite, you weren't quite accepted. You didn't feel welcome in that space. And we've been speaking in these prison letters. Paul's writing to the church about who they are, about their identity in Christ, about what they have in Jesus. He wants them to know who they are, what they have, and how they got it so that they can walk in it. And as we go into this part of Ephesians 2 from verse 11, we find that Paul is actually telling them what they're a part of, the bigger picture that they're a part of, that they're not just individuals journeying through life, trying to, trying to make it by faith and, and hoping that God will act on their behalf. But they, they are a, a part of an, an incredibly powerful community of faith, a holy temple, a spiritual house that is able to affect change in the world. He's telling them that not only have you been saved by the grace of God, but by His grace you've been brought into a community and into a, a historical community. It's a, it's a people that go back into, through the generations and that will continue after we, are, we have left this earth. We're a part of something bigger. It's the greatest club that you could ever be a part of. It's the greatest movement that you could ever be a part of. And each of us have been invited to bring our specific gifts and talents and makeup and, and everything that God has caused us to be and to add it powerfully to the mix. Like we could do church without you, but it won't be the same without you. And as every part does it share, something powerful happens. God wants us to know this. He wants us to know what we're a part of and have our identity shaped as a community. In fact, in the scriptures, as Paul writes and, and the others, uh, other New Testament authors write, they always write in the context of community, a communal identity, a togetherness. Very rarely do they speak to the individual. They speak to the group. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me this morning to Ephesians 2. And I'm just going to read from verse 11, uh, which is where we kind of ended off last week. So in Ephesians 2 verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you, you were Gentiles in the flesh, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the crutch of hostility, I mean the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create for in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing 
the hostility, thereby eradicating, it's a strong word, the hostility that existed between us and God as sinners who were unrepentant, who were rebellion. Jesus came and murdered the hostility. He didn't play with it. He didn't coddle to it. He didn't, uh, he didn't just set it aside quietly. No, he killed the hostility that existed between us and God. The dividing wall that separated us, Jesus took care definitively of that. He wants you to know that it's definitive. Do you know this morning that what separated you from God has definitively been ended, been destroyed, been dealt with? There is no more wall. There is no more separation. There's no more hostility between us and God because Jesus is our peace. Amen? Amen. I don't know if you've ever been to a party with strangers. Any of you ever gone to a party with strangers? Some of you are like, yeah, today I'm a visitor at church, right? People you didn't know, people that you hadn't been friends with before you got there. I mean, it's easy to go to a party where you know everybody and people know you and you can just be yourself and hang out and, you know, whatever. But, but when you go to a party with strangers, it can be awkward easily. I remember once getting invited to a house party in Pretoria somewhere uh, somewhere in the middle of Pretoria, I don't know exactly where it was, went with some friends. And when I got there, I didn't know anybody that was there. But clearly whatever I was and whatever they were was different. Because the moment I walked in, it's like everybody went quiet and looked at me. Have you ever had that? And for the rest of the night, they were like whispering while looking at me. And then laughing. And I honestly felt that they were going to try and beat me up at some point during this party. I was obviously a lot younger and skinnier. They wouldn't try it now. But back then, <laughs> back then, I thought, these guys have it in for me. And, you know, my nature when I feel that is, you know, you get fight or flight. I'm a fight. Like, I'm confrontational in that way, right? Uh, when my back's up against the wall. So I actually remember the more they looked at me, the closer I got to them. And at one point, one of them had a skateboard and it, you know, he fell on it and it like rolled past. So I picked it up and then I walked like right to him like I was going to, and then I just put it down next to him and then looked him in the eye like, what is going on? Why is there this hostility? Why is there this tension? And generally when you end up at one of these parties where it's awkward and you're kind of standing in the corner and you don't know anybody, you need to find something to do so that you don't look completely lost while you're there, Right? So you're just hoping there'll be some activity or something that you can do that'll help, you know. And usually, pets, you know, animals work well. Oh, here's a cat. All of a sudden, I'm a cat lover. I'm actually allergic to cats, and I hate cats. But this cat is my comfort right now, right? Small children. All of a sudden, you're just like a grade one school teacher that loves kids. You're like, hey, let's play catch for the next 45 minutes because I don't know what else to do. And We've all been in these spaces where we've, where we've walked into a room where, where we don't really feel accepted by the group. Maybe it was a group in high school or university that you wanted to be a part of, uh, but you, you just kind of felt that you didn't quite have what it took to be a part of that group. I don't know if you've ever done this when you, when you want to, you, you'd really love to live in a great area. This, maybe this is more moving on from like, university because back then you're just happy to have a bed but later on in life you know you might drive past one of those streets 
those, one of those streets in Lone Hill or in Bryanston or whatever that, you know, that they've got the big security gates and the, and the booms. And you're like, what kind of people get to live in there? Why don't I get to live? Like, why do I have to live on the street? And my only protection is a gate where these people get to live in there. You, you know, maybe it was a golf estate or somewhere that you would like to, to live, but you, didn't afford, you couldn't afford to live there. Maybe it was belonging to a sports club and you didn't quite have the skill or maybe the diners club and you didn't quite have the finances. Some of you sitting up late at night, how much money do I, oh damn, I don't make it. I can't make it into this club. I can't get that card. We've all had one time or another where we wanted to belong but couldn't crack the nod. Didn't have what it took or didn't have the money or the skill or the intelligence or whatever qualifies you to be a part of that club. It's like when, when Pastor Brent applied to be a part of uh, Justin Bieber's fan club, The Believers. That was all he was living for, was to be a believer. And he had the t-shirts, and he was like signing up, and they, they messaged, he emailed, he was like, please can I have my, you know, my fan pack, can you send me all the gear, I'm gonna, he's coming to South Africa, I'm going to be front row, golden circle, oh, part of The Believers Club. And they emailed him and said, no, you're too old. And it's creepy, right? That's what they said to him. So we've all had those moments where we didn't quite belong. And in Bible times, what, what Paul's referring to here in Ephesians 2 is that in Bible times, there was an elite club. An elite club of religious people that were literally handpicked by God. God called them his chosen nation. They were the oracles of God. They were the ones who through the prophets and the priests and the, and the judges and the great men that God raised up within that nation, that they were the ones that spoke the word of God to a world that did not know him. They were the witnesses of the creator to a world that had forgotten where they came from. They were elite. They were big business and they knew it. They were the mouthpiece of God. They were the vehicle through whom which God would bring the Messiah physically onto earth to die for the sins of the whole world. This incredible club, elite religious nation. I remember when I made the first rugby team, the first team rugby in, in high school, and we had an initiation. And uh, I was the youngest that year to make the team. And so I had to go for my initiation last. There was a very long corridor behind the school somewhere, uh, behind the woodwork center. And we had heard rumors of what would happen to us during this initiation. And so there was a little bit of fear and trepidation in our hearts being, you know, being prepped for this moment when we get to receive our jerseys and, you know, our, our bag and our jackets and all that kind of thing. And, and so... There were three of us that year that, that were brand new to the first team. And I remember the one guy going around, and then I just heard like gunshots going off, but too many to count, like over 20 gunshots sounded like just this massive sound. I'm like, what are they doing? Are they ending? Like, are they shooting the former guys? Like, you used to play flank, but now somebody's better than you, so we're just going to end you. You know, you're just worried about what's happening when you come around the corner. And I'll never forget, everybody had gone. It goes silent for a while. You hear hands clapping. And then the next thing, a whistle blows and it's my turn to come around. And I come around the corner and I'm walking down this long alley and there are two rows of first team rugby players standing with their arms folded, having made like a tunnel and they are not looking left or right. They are not making eye contact, they're looking straight ahead. 
And I'm kind of nervously smiling. Hey, guys, nobody responds. At the end of this little tunnel that they created is a chair. And the mascot's on that chair. And on that mascot's lap is my jersey. And underneath is, uh, is my bag with my jacket and all the stuff. And the coach, or actually the captain, steps up, puts his arms around me. He goes, this is what you wanted. This is what you worked towards. Now you hold on to that chair and you look that mascot in the eyes. And all of a sudden, a cricket bat magically appears in the hands of one of the players. And each one of the players gave me a proper hiding. I found out in later years that if they didn't hit me properly, then they all get hit afterwards. Each of them get to give me a smack with that cricket bat. And then the coaches and the captains each get two smacks. But the last smack, at about six or seven, I thought I was going to pass out, but I made it through. And then the last one, the one coach, he does a little short one. And then he steps sideways and gets a stance. Who gets a stance? And smacks me on one butt cheek only. Which meant that when I had to play a game the next day, my one butt cheek was hanging lower than the other one. (laughs) Nothing in the game hurt as much as my backside while playing that game. You know, after I took that, I stood up and they cheered. And they put my jersey on me and they surrounded me. And we sang songs together, high school sentimentality. Um, But I felt like I was a part of something. There was an initiation. And I was like, man, that's extreme. You know, that's, I was black and blue for a long time, for at least two weeks. And I thought, that's extreme. Wow, yeah, high school rugby, we give it all. If you think that's extreme, this religious elite club in the Bible, at eight days old, they all had to be circumcised. That's extreme, right? You want to be a part of the club? They're like, okay, here's the initiation. You know what? Keep your club. It's fine. You can have your club. You can have your club. And so those that weren't a part of the club were known as the uncircumcision. Those that hadn't been circumcised, being separated from those who had the promise and the sign of the promise, the sign of the flesh being cut away. There's something so prophetic in that. And that was... This nation of Israel that had the sign of circumcision in order to belong to that elite nation. They were almost like Spartans trained from a young age. From a young age, you are going to be used by God. You're going to learn the scriptures. You're going to hear the prophecies. You're going to be told the history from the day that you're born. You're going to hear all of it because you're a part of this great thing separated for use by God, subduing the nation with prophets and priests and powerful miracles and this nation of Israel. They had a great history. They had great stories to tell of conquests, of battles that they had won against Jericho and against Egypt, how God delivered them and against Goliath and against Ai and against different cities that they battled against and how God gave them the victory. Imagine having that kind of history. They were revered worldwide as this beacon of hope and the word of God and and religious uh, truth. And then there was everybody else. Then there was just absolutely everybody else, which would probably include most of us in this room today, known as the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, the outsiders, in some circles known as the dogs. Dogs are on the outside. They're not in with this club. They're not in with this group. They don't, they're not just outside of Club Israel. They're outside of heaven. They're separated from God. 
They've never even heard of God. They don't even know what God is like. If somebody says to me, have you heard of Yahweh, of, of, of Jehovah, of the God of Israel, of the creator of heaven and earth? They're just like, no clue who that is. The only thing that we have is rumors and myths of distant, inconsistent gods that try to exert some power in the world. We, we don't know of this one almighty sovereign creator of heaven and earth. We have no idea. Think about how many people there are in the world that you have never met, that you don't know whatsoever. You, you've, you know, there might be somebody living in China right now or in India right now or in Russia right now that you just, you've never met them, you've never heard about them, you have no idea. That's how we all were in regards to God. We just had no clue who he was. We were on the outside having no hope in this world for not knowing God. Everybody else wondering, just like awkward people standing at the party going, we don't know anybody here. This seems like God's got this thing going on with this nation. We're just over here. We have no idea what we're doing here. These were known as the Gentiles, the outsiders. Never heard of God. God was foreign to them. At one point, it talks about the Gentiles as dogs wanting scraps that fall off the table, just wanting some bit of hope, just a little bit of, of direction, of truth. Imagine not knowing truth, not knowing hope, not having the opportunity to serve God or to know Him or to have a relationship with Him. To the Jewish person, it was unthinkable, absolutely unimaginable that a Gentile, could be accepted by God. To become a Jew, to be a part of that club, you'd have to learn so many things. You're so far behind, you'd have to get to familiar with all the customs and the rituals and the, and the feasts and the, and the processes. You'd have to know about the temple and the sacrifices and, and, and you'd have to learn the scriptures, the, the Torah and the history and the poetry and all of it that's combined. You were so far behind. They couldn't imagine a Gentile being accepted by God. Like a nerd trying to be a part of a cool club. Hey, will you guys just accept me? I, I'm, I'm good. That's what the Gentiles were like. That's what we all were like. Maybe you felt that way coming to church. Maybe you might even feel that way this morning being here going, this is not my vibe. These are not my people. Come on, these people are strange. They lift their hands, they clap, they sing loudly. Why was he putting his hands on everybody in the front there? Praying for them. Any of you watch New Girl? You do a nick. You know, where you, I do that with my boys all the time. Just backing out of there. I don't belong here. I'm not a part of this club. I don't get this vibe. And really the reason why so many people feel that way deep down is because they still don't know if God has accepted them. They're still battling with their sins. They're still battling with their, with, with, with their addictions. They're still battling to read their Bible. They're like, if these people knew how little or when last I read my Bible, they would not let me in their club. If they knew how little I know about God or how much doubt I have, if I, I don't even know if I, how much I believe, they wouldn't let me in. They'd stop me at the door. In the midst of this culture 
in this world where there's this religious elite in this nation and then the separation with all the rest of the Gentiles, Jesus arrives. He arrives at the height of that separation where you've got, where you've got Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and, and all the different sects that have arisen to say that this is how we are going to be faithful to the Scriptures, how we're going to interpret and apply them. This is how we are going to be this holy separated nation. They were serious about it. They would kill for it. They did kill for it. And then in walk a couple of scraggly fishermen, people from the outside. There's no ways they can get access. And Jesus arrives, and he doesn't stick to the rules. He doesn't stick to the religious rules. He's a rabbi who hangs out with the riffraff. He eats with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. They accuse him of being a friend of sinners. He fetches his disciples, not from the hallowed halls of 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 religious education, but from the docks, from the beach. They've just done with their fishing, from a, from a tax collecting booth. He messes with all of the accepted norms. In Ephesians 2.12, it says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. To me, that's one of the most beautiful phrases. Those who once stood far off have been brought near. You know, it it, it took Jesus and his grace and what he did for us on the cross to bring us near. It always reminds me of the scripture in Hebrews that says that there are two mountains and you have not come to Mount Sinai that burnt with fire where God gave the law to Moses, where everybody stood trembling because they knew their own sinfulness. And as the law was given in the shadow of the law, they rebelled. They created false gods because they knew they weren't worthy to serve the true God. And Hebrews tells us you have not come to the mountain that burned with fire, but you have come to Mount Zion, to a new and a living way, to the cross, to Jesus, to a place where even the person who crucified Jesus on the cross said, surely this man is the son of God, where the criminal hanging beside him said, surely he is the son of God. And Jesus turned his his eyes over to him, looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. We're no longer those standing far away, fearful of God, knowing our own sinfulness, but those who through his grace, he has taken our hand and he has brought us near. Near enough to embrace, near enough to hear his voice, near enough to be strengthened by him, near enough to be led by him. Come on, that's you this morning. You were once far off, but now you have been brought near. That's us That's you, not on the basis of your merits, but on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross. Verse 13 says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, 
so making peace. In other words, you don't just have peace with God. You're not just granted access into the people of God and into the church, into the community of faith because you did some good things or because you earned it in any way. No, you got that access because Jesus brought you into himself. And so we have access through Jesus. He is the new and the living way that gives us access into the most holy place. This is a beautiful thing that, that God has done. And it, it reminded me of that time when I was at that concert trying to get backstage, trying to get into uh, that area. At one point, thankfully, my one cousin who was probably about 10 meters down the tunnel already turned around and realized that I had been left behind. And so what he did is he turned around and he came back to me where I was still standing against this crutch telling this guy how upset my mom was going to be. And my cousin came and he put his arm around me and he said to the guy, he's with us. He's with us. And the crutch was removed and I got access. He is with us. That's what Jesus did for all of us. Standing far off, if you feel like you've been on the outside, Jesus came, he put his arm around you and he led you closer. He led you into the most holy place with God. And so now in Hebrews 10 verse 19, it says, therefore, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Do you get what he's saying there? It's not just timid. It's not being fearful, hoping I can just crack the nod. No, boldness to enter. Why? Because you are washed in the blood of Jesus. Because you are one with Christ. By a new and a living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us, let us, let us draw near with a true heart in how much assurance? Full assurance of faith. Why do you have full assurance of faith that God will accept you as you come into the most holy place? Well, your hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience and your bodies have been washed with pure water through what Jesus has done. Welcome to the club. You're on the inside, you're not on the outside. You're a part of this, not wanting to get into it, but a part of it. It says that Jesus abolished the law. It says there that he is our peace, breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus destroyed the law. He just abolished it as a means of salvation because he fulfilled it. He fulfilled the law and upheld it as holy. Fulfilling it means that you and I don't need to fulfill it in order to be saved. We just need to be in Jesus. And from that point, we can start living in a way that actually honors the law of love, the law of the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit, no longer by religious rules because Jesus stood proxy for us and gave us access. He broke down the wall of hostility. He broke down those looks, those, that sneering, the, the threats. 
He said, you're welcome. You're welcome in this space. You belong in this place. You have been invited to sit with the king. No matter what you do for a living, no matter how much you earn, no matter how much you've struggled, no matter how good or bad you've been, you are welcome this morning. Amen? Come on, do you realize that that invitation is for you? And so we are all made one in Jesus. And the band can can stop playing behind me. I'm going to close in a minute. But we are made one in Jesus. And in our world that wants to divide us along socioeconomic lines, along lines of, of race and of gender, in a world filled with critical theory where everybody has to subscribe to to one group or another as a part of identity politics. Do you know that as the church, we reject that in Jesus' name? Because in Jesus, there is no Jew nor Greek, male or female. We're all one in Christ. He has brought all of us together and made us one in Him. And so we have one group identity, children of God, Christians, part of the church, believers, citizens of heaven. We're no longer divided along cultural or racial or economic lines. We've been reconciled to God as one body and there is no more hostility. And so I hope that for all of our visitors here today, as you arrive, that you, you would have only experienced the welcoming embrace of Jesus. That's what the church is meant to be. Not a, not a Christian club with its own language and its own inside jokes and, and you know, its own means of acceptance. No, the church is not meant to be a club for religious elite, but a wide open door to the presence of God. And every single one of us have been invited to walk through that door. And what we have the opportunity to do, what Jesus has commanded us to do, the great commission is to go out into our world and take people by the hand and bring them with us through that door. You know, inviting is good, but bringing is better. We wanna bring people to this place Because like you experienced this morning, it's not just a a building. It's the presence of God. When we gather together corporately, God is present and He can work in people's lives. And we want people to experience that acceptance, that love. We want to say to them, welcome to the club. This is home. You belong here. You belong here. Finally, Ephesians 2, 17 to 22. It says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. How amazing is it that Jesus doesn't discard the religious elite that had gotten caught up in their own religiosity, but even them he invites. Maybe you haven't been the one on the outside. Maybe you were the Pharisee on the inside that lost sight of what it's all about. But Jesus says, come. Even those have been brought near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I love that we are not just allowed into the house, but that we become the house, that we're a part of the house. Have you ever heard people say, they're, they've been here so long, they're, they're part of the furniture. Well, you're part of the furniture here. You're part of the walls. You're part of the, the ceiling. You're part of everything that happens. You are a holy and a living temple, a place, a dwelling place for the Spirit where people can come and experience God's goodness. You're not just welcome to be here. You're a part of this place. We become the house where God is worshipped, a dwelling place for the Spirit, no longer strangers or aliens, but a holy temple of God. And it's all because Jesus brought us near. Welcome to the club. You are a part of this place. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand this morning as we pray together?